Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to put on your conspiracy realist hat today because we're going deep, deep, deep down the world financial system rabbit hole. To this day, the majority of Americans have no idea that the Federal Reserve Bank is neither a department of the federal government nor a reserve. G. Edward Griffin is the preeminent expert on one of the biggest scams ever foisted on the American people. And he's back for a repeat appearance where we discuss the world's COVID-19 response, the Fed's printing spree, out-of-control inflation, and Elon Musk's acquisition of Twitter. Buckle up, buttercups. This is episode number 656 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three. Who's bad? This is a bad crypto podcast show for crypto curious, crypto serious, we blockchain blockheads, crypto clowns, nifty nerds. I'm Joel Com. That is Travis Wright. I do not know what this accent is. <laughs> and welcome to the show. That was Joel being a creature, but not from I, Jekyll Island. He was a creature from somewhere else. I am very creaturely. You know, like <laughs> Creaturific is what I like to say. And uh, so this episode here, folks, we're going to get into it quick because he, you know, uh, G. Edward wasn't feeling so good. Then he was feeling better. We talk a little bit about that. We talk about all kinds of things that's going on on this. And then we said, hey, we probably need to drop an NFT for this one because how can you have the creature from Jekyll Island dealing with money and all this other stuff and not have an NFT around? I got to say, Travis, Buff, you know, we interviewed him a couple of years ago during virtual blockchain week, two and a half years ago, I want to say, on uh, episode 351, badco.in mm-hmm. forward slash 351. We actually replayed that episode as a bust of, a best of, not a bust of, a best of bad crypto while we were on vacation. Uh, in uh, September and early October, we replayed that. Hopefully, you heard that. If not, it even though it's two and a half years old, totally worth going back and listening to. But when he came on the screen, I noticed. I mean, the dude was eighty-eight or eighty-nine years old when we interviewed him last time, and he looked really good. He came on screen before you know you came in, and I thought, wow, uh, he has aged, you know, physically a bunch. And then come to find out that he was pretty much they thought he was done that he was on his death right and he shares about that in uh in this interview uh in the, the this is early 90s now like yeah. it, but his mental cognizance is impressive like yeah this dude knows so much and then he and then he knew to, to stop certain things along the way that wasn't going to be good for him he inherently knew that and he's looking better he's got good skin color now you can see that he's most likely he's gotten better from when he was feeling bad but you're going to see all that. Maybe we can cover some of this after the show. After Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, G. Edward Griffin. One of the most popular interviews that we have done to date took place on episode number 351 of this show. It was during virtual blockchain week 2020, uh, just shortly after lockdowns kicked in and it was with the one and only g edward griffin the author of the creature from jekyll island revealing the scam that is the federal reserve 
Bank. And we are so grateful that he is back with us today because just before we started recording, I found out that he's not supposed to be here. So, Mr. Griffin, welcome back to the Bad Crypto Podcast. Uh, well, thanks for having me back. Uh, but perhaps you could uh, fill in, uh, you know, what happened after our last interview and why you're not supposed to be here. Well, I'll try and not make it too long. You know, seems like all the old folks have only two topics they like to discuss. One is their um, their health, their ailments, and the other is their grandkids. So. <laughs> I try and avoid both of those topics as much as possible, but I do have a lot of friends who want to know what happened to me. And so uh, I, uh, I'm not uh, adverse to discussing it, but I just want to let it be known. It's not my favorite topic. I'll try and keep it short for your audience. It's significant, I think, because a lot of people are going through similar things that I did, but it was uh, a little over a year ago. It was in, um, I think the exact date was November 14, last year. I was returning from a Red Pill Expo in Indianapolis, uh, Indiana, that we had put on there. Very, very high-powered, highly successful meeting. I was kind of run down and tired, but we came out of it, and I was coming back home from Indianapolis, driving back to Los Angeles, and I was ready to take a few days off. But a funny thing happened on the way. I stopped off at a friend's house to have a day with them. And uh, when it came time to leave, I was standing at the car, getting ready to say goodbye to everybody. And uh, the hostess looked at me. She said, Ed, are you okay? And uh, I remember thinking, well, of course I'm okay. Why would you ask a silly question like that? And then the next instant I knew I was not okay. I was reading and I was quite dizzy. And uh, they had to prop me up and walk me back to the house. And I kind of passed out, I guess, because I don't remember much of what happened the next few days. I woke up with a, an oxygen tank at my bedside and a tube up my nose and, and, and uh, IVs in my arm and uh, not very mentally awake. And to make a long story short, I, I was diagnosed with pretty much what people would call COVID today. Um, and my view, by the way, I have to state, is that whatever COVID really is, it's, it's real, but I think it's merely, maybe the merely isn't the right word, but it is, uh, it is a weaponized version of the flu because it has all the flu-like symptoms, including the ones I had. I was having trouble breathing, still having a little trouble being short of breath, but um, not like then. My heart was beating 152 beats per minute, and that lasted, by the way, for a couple of months. Wow. They didn't think that uh, I was going to survive that. I didn't either. I was uh, delirious. I was, I was uh, hallucinating. I was having all kinds of weird things going in my, in my brain, and uh, I was conscious enough to think, well, this is it. I mean, after, I had just celebrated my 90th birthday a few days before that. Mm -hmm. I figured, well, you know, that's what happens when you get, get those numbers really big like that. And everybody was like looking at me so sadly. I knew they thought the same thing too. So, um, okay, that's stage one. Uh, finally, I, I had to get uh, be taken back to Los Angeles in an ambulance because I wasn't able to fly. And uh, so I got back to Los Angeles and 
got hooked up with a cardiologist and he looked at me and said, man, we got to get you in a hospital right away. Your heart's not going to keep beating this fast much longer. And uh, you got a lot of other things going on. So they checked me in the hospital and um, sure enough, I had some other things going on. I had a bleeding ulcer and a couple of other things and all of which added up to uh, a very bad prognosis for a guy who's 90 years old and uh, barely able to walk to the bathroom without help. So um, I wound up in the hospital here in Ventura County for um, about a month and took care of the bleeding ulcer. It's a good thing they did because they said I would have bled to death in another 20 hours or so. And um, and then, of course, it was time to do something with me. Well, they didn't know what to do. They wanted to put me in a nursing home. They didn't want to call it a hospice or anything, but I had a feeling that's what it really was. I said, well, look, if I don't have much of a chance, I'd rather just be home. I want to go home. They said, well, you know, we think you need nursing care and all that stuff. And um, after about five or six days of really arguing with the doctors, I finally got to go back to my home and I uh, got some good, real, real tender care from my wife, who was a retired RN. Thank God for that. And uh, began to, I got off the meds and everybody said, don't get off the meds. You need to keep the med medications going. Your heart will go back to 152. I said, yeah, but it's going down to 32 now, <laughs> which, <laughs> and uh, I had to do something about that. And everybody said, well, you can reduce the meds, but don't go off of them. So what I did, decided to do is practice what I preach. I preach that Western medicine is broken. I think that when it comes to breaking bones and repairing broken broken bones, it's very good. Plastic surgery is very good. Emergency medicine is very good. But anything pertaining to a chronic condition is very bad because it's been taken over by the pharmaceutical industry. And the whole purpose of medical care today and the chronic illnesses is not to cure the disease, but to treat it and treat it and treat it and treat it forevermore until the patient either dies or runs out of money. And I, I knew that. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to take myself off of these meds. So I gradually started weaning it down. I, I really didn't tell the doctor because I knew he would say, don't do it. And I decided to take the risk and I did it. I've been off the meds completely now for about <clears throat> almost four months. I got off the oxygen. I'm walking around. I'm, I'm in a very solid state of recovery. They wanted to put a pacemaker in me at one point. And I said, uh, first I said, yeah, I guess I better do it if I want to live. And then I got to thinking about it and I changed my mind. So that didn't happen. So th there it is in a nutshell. Here I am uh, a year later and um, I'm, uh, I'm driving around. I, I drive my car. I go any place I want to go. We go out to, the, to um, restaurants now and then and eat. I'm able to walk into the restaurant. I sometimes carry a cane, but lately I'm not even doing that. Mm. I'm a little the bit creature creeps. Yeah. He is creeping. Very nice. So um, I'm, I'm um, you know, now I'm 92. I'm rather 91. I finally got to be 91. I'm in my 92nd year now. So I still don't expect this to go on forever, but I'm very happy. And uh, and I, I'm here to stay as far as I'm concerned. Well, we're really glad for that. And, you know, anytime somebody comes, um, if, goes through COVID, it's easy to be reluctant to talk about the narrative uh, because I, you know, I had it, but it was a, a walk in the park for me. Um, so 
in retrospect, after having gone through that, give us your overall valuation of what you believe COVID actually is, our response to it as a, a people, both domestic and globally, and the, uh, the vaccine treatments. Well, that's pretty easy to do. I've already said what I think it is uh, technically. I, I think it's a variant of uh, what we used to call influenza or the flu. And I think they weaponized it in some way. I think it's more severe, especially for older people and those with comorbidity, uh, morbidities. But um, nevertheless, it can be very serious if you happen to be in those categories, which I am. Um, but I think that what COVID really is, is a strategy. It's not a disease or an illness so much as it is a public relations strategy to convince the world that uh, the human race is going to be wiped off the surface of the earth unless everybody gets vaccinated, gets on these regular vaccinations at least once a year and probably three or four years. And, uh, and in the wake of all the fear that this has uh, brought up in the minds of most people, uh, people have forgotten about such things as what are their rights? What is the proper function of the, of the state? What happened to my personal liberties to make my own decisions? How come I'm being locked in my home? I can't even go shopping and so forth. How come I gave up all of these liberties? Um, and how come they're taking away my money now? And they're talking gleefully about having a, a central bank digital currency, which will uh, just be digital. And I, I won't be able to have money in my pocket. And if they throw a switch, I won't be able to buy anything if they don't like what I say or do. How did that, all of this happen? And the answer is, COVID. COVID is a strategy to bring all of that about because this is uh, what Klaus Schwab likes to describe as the Great Reset. The Great Reset really means reset back to the Middle Ages, back to uh, the days when we had masters and slaves. And uh, that's it. That's what it's all about on a very modern technological scale. Because that's they said so. They say so, trick. and we got to listen to them. Now, they actually, they actually just passed something, uh, G. Edward, around um, – you know, they just had the G20 and they were talking about how if the WHO says that some virus is bad enough, then you have to get a vaccine to even do any type of international travel now. So they were talking about and then a, a bunch of countries signed off on that. So it's like it seems like they want this stuff to stay around for a while so they can use it as a control mechanism. Right. Well, that's it. Exactly. It's, just, it's a strategy. It's not a, it's not an illness. It's an invented illness is what it is. It's an illness in that sense that people get sick uh, and a lot of people die from it. But the truth of the matter is, if you look at the statistics, the people who are dying are not dying from, dying from COVID. They're, they're dying from the treatment of COVID. And this is a, that's a harsh thing to say. I wouldn't say it unless I thought that the hard statistics could prove it over and over again. Uh, I'll give you a little story of what happened to me in the hospital now or back to me. Uh, this is the last time I'll do that. But after I was in, in there for about five or six days and I had my surgery, I, of course I was all hooked up to the IV because they were giving me blood transfusions and all that. So I was uh, doing nothing but lying in bed. So my sleep was not very uh, intense. I'd wake up at the slightest sound. So about two o'clock in the morning, I hear a sound in my room and I woke up and there's the nurse. And uh, sweet little nurse, she was really trying to take care of me and very cheerful. I said, oh, hi, how are you doing? She said, oh, I'm fine. How are you, Mr. Griffin? I said, what's going on? She said, well, I'm going to give you your medicine now. I said, oh, what medicine is that? Oh, 
It's called remdesivir. Uh-oh. I said, what? Yeah, don't <laughs> give me remdesivir. that. I said, what do you mean by medicine? Why are you giving me this medicine? She said, well, it's on your, on your chart. You have to have it. I said, no, I don't have to have it. That's not my medicine. I'm, I'm not going to accept it. So I, I really came unglued. And she said, but it's your medicine, Mr. I, look, there, it's not my medicine. I just don't want it, and I won't accept it. So that was the end of that, I thought, until the following night at 2 o'clock. I hear a sound. I wake up. Oh, hi. Well, what's going on? Oh, I'm going to give you your medicine. I said, is that medicine what I think it might be? She said, well, it's remdesivir. I said, no, I don't want it tonight either. This happened three nights in a row. Wow. Now, mind you, when I went into the hospital, I was not diagnosed as a COVID patient. I had no testing. I wouldn't do a test. They had no test. They didn't think it was. They just thought I had pneumonia or something wrong with my heart. So there was nothing in my record that indicated remdesivir, which is pretty much uh, reserved for treatment of COVID patients. It's just because the hospital makes what? They make $37,000 on every a bag of remdesivir they push into a patient. And then, of course, that ruins the person's um, kidneys. And so they go on dialysis. And then they go on ventilator machines and so forth. Hospitals will make a, oh, heck, they'll make a, oh, some people say a couple hundred thousand dollars if they can kill a person uh, claiming it was uh, COVID-19. Now, there you have the harsh reality of what's happened to Western medicine. It's death by prescription. That's violent, really. If you think about it, you how can those RNs? They don't. They think they're doing the good thing. They, I think, and some of them believe, like, oh my God, I'm doing exactly the right thing. In yeah. reality, they're slow killing people, and they don't even realize it. Well, you know, at the lower level, that's true. All all the nurses I talked to in the hospital had that feeling they were doing the right thing. I got to tell you a little another side story. Since nobody knows what hospital I was in, I guess it's safe to say uh, I, I would hate to have this woman fired, but she. Came into my room one day, she introduced herself, said, I'm the head nurse. Well, she didn't say whether she was the head nurse for the hospital or for the ward that I was on, but it didn't make any difference. She's the head nurse. And she wasn't there for my medical condition, but it was sort of a public relations visit. Well, how is this service here? Are you, are, you, are you treated well? Are you happy with what's happening and so forth? And oh, yeah, everything is fine. And um, so I got to talking with her and um, <laughs> the question came up. Uh, what kind of treatments we're getting. I said, well, you know, I'm not a fan of Western medicine. It was a long silence. And she looked at me, she said, neither am I. Hmm. <laughs> and she said, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I said, I know you shouldn't, dear, you shouldn't have said that. But she said, no, I, I know what you mean, Mr. Griffin. So there are people, and then of course, there was a doctor that helped me get into the hospital, get the surgery who's totally on board, he knows what's going on. Uh, and he would not receive, he would not accept a vaccination at all. They thought he, his colleagues thought he was crazy. They thought he was a, a real nutcase because he wouldn't take a vaccine. Now it's a year later and um, they're all very friendly with him again. And they're all saying, no, I would never, I never get a second one, but they did take the third one. So things are changing. And I, I mentioned this story because these people in the medical profession, most of them are well-intentioned. It's just that they're so close to the center of the whirlwind that, you know, they're susceptible to the propaganda just like everyone else. And, uh, you know, if you spend how many years uh, in med school learning about medications and learning to respect everything that comes out of the pharmaceutical industry, it's a hard switcheroo to make to think these guys, 
these guys are actually trying to kill people to, for money. Mm-hmm. It, there is a, um, a, a documentary that's out there right now um, that some would say is conspiracy theory. I have not seen it, so I have not had a chance to evaluate it for myself, but it's called Died Suddenly, and it alleges that uh, these vaccines are killing far more people, especially prematurely young people, than would have had there not been vaccines at all. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that used to be a controversial statement. It's not anymore because it's so obvious that the stats are everywhere and the pe- people are talking about it at all levels, including the World Health Organization, including the CDC. They're actually mentioning what you just said. We're, we're concerned. It looks like these vaccines are uh, causing more conditions and more illnesses and more deaths than the condition that they're supposed to be treating. It's, mm. it's no longer even controversial to say that. And we don't know the long-term effects. That's the the big thing, right? Yes, it's it, they're taking lives prematurely, but what's going to happen three, five, ten years from now? How are these vaccines? Are they altering something in our our DNA? Uh, we just we just don't know. Well, of course, I'm the wrong person to answer that question because my medical background is zero, but I do read a lot, and I read I read medical reports. And I listened to the uh, presentations made by researchers and doctors in the field. And uh, I know how to listen. I know how to read. And what they're telling me is exactly what you said. And that is that they are the so-called vaccines are not vaccines at all. They were never designed to delay the transmission of COVID, nor were they designed uh, to, uh, to uh, make you more immune to it. Um, that came out too in one of those official papers. Somebody asked them to provide the uh, test results of the tests that they ran to prove, you know, how effective were these in preventing transmission and so forth. And the answer came back that, oh, we never got around to doing those because this was an emergency and we just had to move ahead without the tests. So there was no evidence that this uh, was on purpose to prevent transmission or uh, to reduce the symptoms, although they did say that at first, that it would reduce symptoms, and then they got off, off of that because that wasn't true either. In other words, you have, to, you have to just follow the facts, and the facts are that these are not vaccines. They weren't designed to do what vaccines traditionally do. They were designed to, uh, to change the DNA structure of the human being. Supposedly, they said, so that somehow the human immune system would begin to produce its own uh, protection against COVID. But, uh, but that they didn't know because it's never been done before. So it was all experimental. Hence, we get these phrases, the experimental vaccine. And it's, but it's not even an experimental vaccine. It's ex- experimental gene therapy is what it is. Mm-hmm. Now, as to why they would do that, that opens up a can of worms. And of course, there are all kinds of explanations and theories on it. None of them are any good. So I want to ask you about that, um, uh, G. Edward, around that. So it's like we know from your previous research that, you know, the Federal Reserve Bank, well, there's a lot of craziness going on around that. The people who run it, the trustees of the Federal Reserve Bank, the IRS and, you know, paper money. We we understand that. What do we think that the long term goal is with this vaccine? Because a lot of people on the left are taking these vaccines as, as quickly as they're being offered them. And it would seem that that's their voting base 
not that they need a voting base anymore with electronic voting machines, but do we, I mean, even, even Fauci years ago, he said, you don't know what's going on with the vaccine. You don't know until, you know, seven, 10, 15 years later, then you know the results. So here we are in this space where now they've all sort of changed their tune. Now they're saying how great it is, even though they know deep down it's not great. Do we think that their end goal is to sort of eliminate a vast amount of people? Is that what your assumptions would tell you at this point? Well, let's put it this way. If I if I just get my feelings out of the way, I get my credulity out of the way, because certain things are just almost impossible to believe. It could be true. It just seems so crazy. Get that out of the way and just look at the facts. If you do that, here's what you come up with. The leading names in this whole movement are Rockefeller and Gates. And Fauci, of course, is, follows in that same category. He's funded by those people. And all of them and their families, as far as many generations, have been pioneers in the field of population reduction. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's just a matter of record. Bill Gates' dad was a eugenics guy. He was huge. They're they're all eugenics people. So is this a coincidence? How come it's the the people who are eugenics madmen are in the forefront of this whole vaccine movement? What what does a sane person conclude? That maybe this has something to do with it. That was one reason I didn't take it immediately. I was like, wait a second. These same people. Dude, uh, Bill Gates did a TED Talk on vaccines reducing 10, 15% of the people. These same people were talking about population reduction and control. And now they're all concerned about our health and well-being. So they wanted to take these vaccines. Like It was a huge red flag right from the get-go for me. Well, that was for you. So you you happen to be listening and thinking. But, Mm -hmm. you know, unfortunately, let's face it, the population has been dumbed down so much they don't think and they don't listen. Uh, they just watch television and whatever the final sentence is on the end of the news, that's the conclusion of what they, what the news means. And so uh, they say, okay, it's everything's under control. These good people at the top have my interests in mind. I'll just do what mm-hmm. I'm doing. Foolish, yeah. foolish. In fact, we uh, we get called conspiracy theorists now, especially Travis, because he really likes to go down uh, and vent with the rabbit holes on the I'm show. I'm a conspiracy realist at this point. And, I mean, my... And- <laughs> I get it. So during all of this, it then became an excuse for the Fed to print more money to stimulate the economy. In fact, more money in a two year period than they had ever printed in what decades. And so now we've got this crazy rampant inflation and I don't know what they do next. You know, how much longer can this economy sustain and be propped up by the Fed? Well, I'm back with your phrase about conspiracy theorist, because that's what's going to sound like when I give my answer. And um, and, and you just said you were a conspiracy realist. I like that. Uh, I used to think that uh, we would call the people on the other side conspiracy poo-pooists, because they all poo-poo on that. And uh, But I think the better name... I'm is, also that. I will poo-poo <laughs> on all the things. Yeah. That, that's safe, gentlemen. It's pretty safe. <laughs> Skeptics are pretty pretty safe because they're usually right. <laughs> but um, anyway, it's 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 the field I I have been labeled with for a long time. I've almost become comfortable with it because it it seems like all the people whose opinions I respect in other areas, uh, when we get on these areas, they're what 
what would be called conspiracy theorists. So I'm beginning to feel very comfortable being in good company uh, with, the, with people that think and who read and who, who really know what's going on in the world. But anyway, so let's see. Back to the main question, which I almost have forgotten now. It's um, so, well, yeah, what are they what are they really up to? Is that what you're asking? What is the do, do I believe that they're trying to kill? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With all the money they've printed and out of out of control inflation. And, you know, or they're, they're trying to get to a universal basic income. And what is where are they trying to go? Well, that's an easier question to answer. I think if you back away a little bit from the picture and get far enough away that you can see the frame around the picture and every all the, the wallpaper a little bit behind it and really understand where the whole thing a lot of moving parts in this picture it all adds up to one thing and that is power power we think it's money but why do people want money it's because money brings power money is one avenue to power there are other avenues too but money is the quickest and surest Route to power, and the only people, the only reason, primarily, that most people want money, lots of it, lots of it, and maybe all of it, is because money represents the degree to which you can, you can uh, obtain the services of other people. That's all it is. Well, the more money you have, the more services you can obtain from other people. And if you have all the money, now you have all the services of all the people at your disposal, and that's called slavery. So in the beginning. Uh, I think back in the days of the Federal Reserve formation, back in 1910, 1913, the players of that game were mostly interested in just how to make money and how to legalize plunder of the population. It was all about money, 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 because money was the path to power. Now, in our current age of technology, there are other roads to power. And in fact, I think that these people have finally figured out that money no longer is a road to power. It'll be a means of exercising power once you've got it. Once you get people away from uh, currencies, from national currencies even, or silver or, or gold coins or blue chip stamps or Disneyland tickets or whatever you want to use for barter, if you can get people away from all of these things and have one international currency, now, it doesn't make any difference how much there is because it's all controlled by the people at the top anyway. Nobody knows how many units are out there. It doesn't make any difference. You get what you get. And the, the number of units, purchasing power units that you get, depends entirely on how obedient you are. And money has then disappears as in its traditional role. So I think nothing has changed in the sense that in the beginning, men were interested in power. What has changed is that money alone, although it still is the main road to power, is being maneuvered in such a way so that very soon it's going to collapse and people will say, good riddance. Look how terrible this has all turned out. And they'll be, what's next? What's next? What did you, how are you going to solve this problem? And they'll forget that the same people who are solving the problem are the ones that created the problem in the first place. And they won't connect it up. They won't say, oh, I see, these guys destroyed the old system so they could install a new system that's even worse than the old system. So that's my short answer. And the next question is, well, what, what is worse? And what is worse is a digital currency that's completely controlled by the banks and they're, they'll be in partnership with the governments. It's a public-private partnership between 
corporations and government. That's the definition of fascism, of course. And so it, it's global fascism by definition. And you don't really need money because it's, a, I mean, you can't earn it. You are awarded money depending upon your role. It's like being in the military. If you're a general, you get lots of lots of perks. You can go anywhere you want. You even got, you've got a car provided. You've got drivers provided. You live in a big house. You don't have to pay for any of that with money. It's all provided for you. And in the collectivist system that Klaus Schwab and his buddies are talking about, uh, there'll be units like that. There'll be digital bank currency units. You don't know how. You have plenty of them. Don't worry about it. The guy down at the bottom end doesn't have enough. And people like you and me will have none because they don't like what we say. So um, it's still power, nevertheless. In fact, this new system of changing the old currencies from dollars and pesos and all that sort of thing into digital currency units or tokens is the final step in global power. And it'll be so powerful and, and so, so airtight that it's difficult to imagine how anybody could escape it. That's why they're doing it. They're destroying the old system on purpose. And they're doing it on deliberately so that people will beg for the new system. You got to wake up, people. You got to wake up. This is exactly. Then the last guy who in the United States tried to get rid of the Federal Reserve Bank and the currencies was a guy named John F. Kennedy, who, a matter of fact, today it is November 22nd, uh, 2022. 59 years ago today, JFK was conveniently put away and uh, they moved on down the road without him. And you know, a lot of things have changed since then, but I have always sort of looked at that and I said, well, you know, it looked to me like he was trying to do right by the American people. And then the powers that be, those unelected few said, nope, we're going to keep this train running. And then that was basically never solved. They never really figured out or the official story of JFK never sort of came out. And you talk about power and you're exactly spot on from my research on this is the more money they get, then the more than they can buy. And then the more influence that they can wield, they buy the media outlets, they pay for the World Economic Forum, these global bankers, right? The Rockefeller Institute. I read this thing called Lockstep years ago, 10, 12 years ago, that the, that the Rockefeller Foundation put out. And it's basically play by play what happened with COVID. And then you see the John, you know, the John Hopkins Institute. They had a thing called SPARS, which was basically the media guide on what to say when all this stuff goes down. And so it's like you can see how they're weaving their power. You can see how they influence everything. And we can see how if you get in the way, they're not afraid to take out a president, which is why I'm surprised in some ways Trump has, has never been martyred. But maybe that's what they're scared of the most is him being a martyr. So how do we evolve out of this? Do we have a solution? Do we know what it's going to take for us to break free from the powers that be currently and actually get to a point where decentralization or or the people who care more about humanity are in charge? or I mean, what, what do we got to do? Well, you want the whole truth, nothing about the truth? Man, I love the truth. Then the answer is, I don't know. Nobody knows. Mm -hmm. This has never happened before in history where you've had the possibility made by advanced technology to possibility to actually enslave every human being on the surface of the planet and to do it with technology, which is through the banking system. <laughs> it's never been done before. And therefore, there's nothing in the historical record which we can turn to 
and say, well, how did how did that work out last time? How did they get rid of it last time? We don't know. But the only thing we do know that whatever it is, it exists. And the, and on top of that, whatever it is that exists, it will require information, it require that people like you and me and up to about 15% of the population must know the truth and must be of sufficient the caliber of responsibility and uh, bravery has to be sufficiently high to be a cadre of 15% in my view of the population if they could get really on their you know get in righteously indignant like we are for example i mean i go to sleep thinking about these things i wake up thinking about these things i am mad as hell and uh, we need 15% of the population who are mad as hell and informed also not not just running around looking for somebody on the white horse, like Mr. Trump, for example. I hate to say that, but he's not the man on the white horse. But people are looking for someone like him. So if they dress him up and put him on a white horse, oh, there he is. Especially if the opposition hates him so badly, visibly hates him, hates him, hates him. Oh, he must be pretty good. I didn't like him, but he must be pretty good because look at these bad people that hate him so much. You see how the possibilities open up when you understand human nature. And these guys on the other side are really, uh, they're masters at, uh, at psychological warfare. I was reading a book. Well, and they do it through the media too, and, and through social media. And that's where there's a ray of you know light poking through the, the darkness right now with Elon Musk um, buying Twitter, because we're seeing information, free speech, come back in the social sphere in a way that we have not seen in years. You could tell by what's trending on Twitter that it's not being manipulated like it was. People are being, their accounts are being unsuspended so that they can say what they want to say. And, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Is, is Elon Musk, are we going to look back at him as one of the heroes of, you know, the, the 21st century? Well, I... <laughs> You guys have got a bad guy to interview here today because I'm very skeptical of um, of people that travel in those circles. And yep. um, that's okay. That's legitimate. He is a billionaire and he does have some unusual connections and um, he doesn't always do the right thing from what I've read in, you know, his companies. Well, that's right. So if, if you're skeptical, at least you say, wait a minute, don't push me too fast. I want to make my own decision. Um, the media is playing him up as a big champion of uh, freedom of speech, too. But uh, did anybody listen to his his comments? I saw them on live on television when it was announced that he was considering buying the uh, Twitter. And he said, well, you know, I believe in free speech. And I just told him we will never, ever, we will never, uh, we'll never block anything unless, of course, it's illegal. Did anybody hear that? Right. Did anybody, the long hear, it? Did anybody yeah. hear it? In other words, until the government says you can't do it, they'll say, okay, we won't. Okay, you, the government. Until it's illegal. Everybody. But that's not even completely true because Twitter, for the longest time, had this trafficking issue and they had all these hashtags that were around, you know, child exploitation. He took, he takes over and to, within two days, that those go away. Those hashtags well, don't course. exist anymore. Yeah, but they'll come back. Hmm. How easy, is it, guys. how easy is it to, to do something temporarily and look mm -hmm. real good? Just if you want to satisfy yourself, go back and look at the Trump trail of things that he did. He was going to, mm -hmm. he, he did cancel the uh, 
the uh, the tree in Paris, I guess it was in Paris then, mm -hmm. you know, the um, environmental tree, but it was going down the tanks anyway. Nobody was in agreement with it. And then quietly, uh, I guess about nine months later, it comes up with a new treaty. It's even worse, but nobody talks about that. They forgot mm -hmm. about that part. And everything that was undone gets redone, you see. Uh, what are the two most important, maybe the three most important issues that face America today? And for a long time. The two most I was starting off with is the monetary system and the sovereignty of the nation being gobbled up by internationalism, the United Nations, in other words. Are we going to lose our sovereignty, lose control of our money, lose control of our military, lose control of our educational system? Are we all going to be gobbled up in a new world order? And are we going to have our own money? Those have always been, in my view, the two main issues. And nobody in either political party of the major political parties has ever, ever challenged or even wanted to discuss any one of those two most important of all issues. It's never up for discussion. Nothing changes on the two most important issues. Nothing changes over decades and decades. There are all kinds of battles going on, but nothing really changes on the two most important ones. Now we come to a third one now, COVID. What has changed? Is anybody taking a step? Mr. Trump says, uh, oh no, I, I'm going to, fast track this thing. We're going to spend trillions of dollars. We're going to get everybody vaccinated and nobody listens to it because, they, well, he's a good guy. So I don't listen to the things he said. I don't trust any of these people. That's what I'm trying right. to tell you. It's really I, hard. To, it's, it is really hard to trust them. I want to actually ask you about this because you said 15% of the population. Mm -hmm. We just passed 8 billion people. So that, based on that math, we're going to need about 1.2 billion people worldwide to rise up is about a 15%. I would like to call on a study that I read not long ago about these 7,000 Buddhist monks that was doing, you know, transcendental meditation of some sort, where they were praying for a peaceful outcome. And what's really interesting is those 7,000 meditators over the course of a week was meditating around a cause. And then worldwide, terrorism dropped coincidentally. Also, crime dropped in a lot of cities, 20, 30% around the world. So it makes me wonder if, if every if we're all we're all sort of connected by this unified field, right? When we we're all made of energy and frequency and vibration, according to Tesla, can I, I just wonder? And it's not even a question, like how we can impact that unified field and maybe even intend positive, loving vibrations for the world in a collective where we don't even necessarily have to be a billion people strong, where we can impact things to make things start moving in our direction positively. And if so, like, I just wonder, you know, man, just get a few people, 10,000 people start off with where every day at 1111 or something, they're praying for the, the peace of the world and love for the world. And, you know, just, you know, to kind of help us avoid tyranny because there's, it's just such a weird place that we're in. And I don't know that it doesn't seem like violence is going to be a path that we can take. We have to choose the path of love in somehow to outlove them because they're so full of hate and anger or something. I, it just seems to me that maybe maybe that's a, a solution potentially. I don't even know. Well, I don't really, really know either. I certainly am all for love and compassion and and peace and and understanding and tolerance and all these good things, oneness with the universe. I, I really I really am uh, in in very great sympathy with all of these these ideas. Uh, but when I look back at history, I don't see where they 
have really changed much. Now you don't need you don't need violence to how shall I say this? Yeah, maybe we need consequences because it seems like these people who are doing this stuff, there's no consequences for them. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. Um, I was involved in some local political action here a few a uh, few years ago where it was important to change the the um, <clears throat> the county board of supervisors composition. They were all made up with these communists or Nazis. I mean, they were literally communists and Nazis. They didn't even know it, but they were believers in all of the strategies. They were gonna they were gonna improve mankind whether mankind wanted it or not, no matter how how much it costs and no matter how many people got hurt, mankind was going to be improved. And we're going to put in, uh, we're going to increase our budget for um, uh, for the homeless, even though they knew that every time they, they doubled their budget, the homeless numbers would double. Because <laughs> that's the way it works. If you if you start, you know, you if you start giving away free stuff, then there are more people in line for the free stuff. And you can't solve that problem by simply spending more money for free stuff. You just wind up with everybody in line for free stuff. And so th these are the kind of people I'm talking about. Now, they believe in using violence to, to withhold, to, to maintain their control over the local county. But we got rid of them. We didn't use violence. We just used political campaigns and educational campaigns, got organized. And we did it with really less than 15% of the population by far. Uh, I would say about probably active people with about 3% were, were able to do it in that case. Uh, but on a national scale or international scale, uh, I think 15% is a, is a relatively good number. Um, now, let me explain why I'm using these numbers. Th th this does not come from any kind of a scientific study that I'm familiar with, but it's come from my own personal observation over a long period of time is that history is always written by the less than 1% of the population. I mean, it certainly was true. Let's take a, let's take a look at the American Revolution. We think, well, the American Revolution was fought when the colonists rose up against King George and they stopped his, his men at the Bridge of Concord and we fought the war and it was because the whole nation was against the, the crown. Nothing could be further from the truth. The numbers, as far as I can tell, of the people who actually were act, active on the battlefield was about less than, well, definitely less than 3% of the population. And um, this, these weren't people that just picked up their, their muskets and met the British at the bridge because they heard they were coming. These were people who were already part of a militia or part of local government. These weren't just the, the colonists who rose up when they got mad as hell, wouldn't take it anymore. They were, they were 13 governments, 13 nations, you might say, that came together and united to fight the, the British. And it was all done with about 1% of the population as the, um, let's call them the, uh, the thought leaders. You know, people like uh, Thomas Paine and his famous booklets that they circulated. And, and people by, like Madison and Jefferson, uh, 1%, if that. And then they were surrounded by 3% of the influencers. Those would be the, the people with the stores, the, the wealthy farmers, the plantation owners. Uh, yes, some of them had slaves. That's true. I know it's part of the, part of the mix. And, but they were the people that ran this, the shops and the, and the pubs. Those were the influencers. And that was about 3% of the population. 
and then 15% approximately appears to have gathered around to support them. So 1% leading to 3% leading to 15% was able to win the American Revolution. It was not uh, 100% of the population. And you look back at all of the revolutions of history and the great transitions, even in outside of polit politics, take a look at religions, for example. Starts with a very small number, and but they're the influencers, then you get supporters. And finally, whole nations will become uh, devoted to a particular religion once it reaches that, that stepping or that turning point or the tipping point of about 15%. It's in, it's, it's over. So I, I always feel that in our, in our war, I look at the number of people who are actually pushing this great reset. How many are there? Numerically, I think they've got to be about one one hundredth of one percent, but they've been at it for a long time and they're in positions of great influence. I mean, they bought up newspapers, television stations and uh, that kind of thing. They bought up politicians. They bought up uh, universities through donations. They dominate the boards of directors. So that little tiny percentage has a tremendous amount of leverage because of the influence and the positions that they're in. But nevertheless, on our side, we don't have all those positions of power, but we do have manpower. And we do have, we do have the ability to talk to each other still. That's why they're trying to clamp down even on, on uh, freedom of speech. But so far, we still can speak our mind. And, uh, and this is very, very powerful. I think that if we had 3% of the population who really understood issues like we're talking about, not just who you're going to vote for, by the way, you know, oh, who's running for office? Which one am I going to choose? By the time you ask who's running for office so you can pick a good candidate, it's over because probably they're all been financed by the same group anyway. So people don't realize that. They, they're still politically naive. They think that, that all they got to do is just pick a good candidate and everything will come to, to their satisfaction. So anyway, I think that once we had 3% who would influence the 15% of the population in America, and frankly, I think we are there already, except nobody knows it. Everybody's still walking around the streets thinking they're all alone, which is why I'm doing my best to try and get them together in projects like the Red Pill Project and Freedom Force and things like that. Once people come together and realize, oh my gosh, we already do represent 15 or more percent of the population. We've got power if we'll just get up off of our couches and go run for politics, get back, go make sure we become personal friends with the sheriff. And if we don't like what his principles are, let's go find a new sheriff and build a political support campaign for him. Mm. Let's make sure that, you know, start from the ground up and actually do something. And they say, what are we going to do? I heard a, a phrase the other day, which I'm going to adopt now as my own from here on out. And this is it. We are the people we've been waiting for to come and save us. Mm. Mm. We the people, uh, very eloquent and in a beautiful mm. place for us to uh, to conclude. Uh, G. Edward Griffin, the book, uh, The Creature from Jekyll Island is a classic. You're 91 years old and your, uh, your fire and enthusiasm for these principles remains. And, and may you live well beyond 100, sir, and continue bringing that fire. All right. Well, thank you. I'm planning on it. <laughs> You're a legend, brother. You are a legend. We we admire you so much, and we respect all that you've put out there to help wake up people along the way with your Red Pill University and all the other things that you're doing. So thank you from the bottom of our heart, 
And and I know 15 or more percent out there is thanking you as well because they might not even realize the impact that you've had, but they know that their life is the way it is because of, of your work. So thank you so much. Sir Lord Travis, I hope the dude lives to be 109 because his content is solid. His insights are spot on um, and he is a true conspiracy realist. You know, this guy's been talking about this stuff since way before anybody else was talking about it in my mind. Like the, the amount of research that he had to do before the Internet existed to try to uncover some of this stuff had to be just unbelievably difficult. If you haven't read The Creature from Jekyll Island, you need to go through it, at least get the audio book. Do the do the you know the Cliff Notes version or something. If you don't haven't if you haven't done that and you don't understand what he's talking about, you got to get that basis of information behind you because that helps unlock a whole lot of other stuff. Like if you think that the government and everybody's out for your best interest, they're typically for their own personal best interest. And it seems to me that a lot of times the people who should be in charge, they're the ones who don't want to rule anyone. So they're not in charge. They're just hanging out at home. The ones who are a little maniacal, a little bit of narcissistic and got a little bit of that psychopathic, they're the ones that t tend to want to run and control everybody else. Good people tend to not run, it seems. And um, we covered a lot of stuff in the show. We did. And, you know, one of the uh, the things that's happened here uh, just recently is Elon has put an end to Twitter's COVID misinformation policy that resulted in thousands of users being banned. And turns out the narrative of what they had shared all along uh, was not actually accurate. And now uh, it's it's out there, um, and people get to uh, go down the rabbit holes, and and they should. You should go down the rabbit mm -hmm. holes. I found a, a great tweet out there uh, from a guy that I follow, uh, Kyle Becker, and he said, "Here is the experts' misinformation. Look at all of the things that they got wrong. Fifteen days to slow the spread." Masks work, lockdowns work, natural immunity is a myth, mRNA shots are vaccines, COVID shots stop transmission, and it's 100% safe and effective. All of those from the experts who were banning people for contrary information, including reputable doctors, and every single one of them verified untrue. Every one of them. Yeah, I was at, I was at the grocery store earlier today. I saw something I hadn't seen in a long time. I saw more people wearing masks here in Puerto Rico than I've seen in a while. Something must be brewing. There must be some propaganda going on. I even saw a dude, I've never seen this before. A dude had a lanyard and he was wearing his COVID vaccine card with all of his boosters on. This old dude that was having a hard time walking. I'm like, dude, keep getting those boosters, bro. Won't have to worry about next Christmas. Oh, yikes. So Sad. it was weird. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Unreal. Think for yourself, people. You can call us whatever you want to, but if you are not questioning everything that is being told to you by your government and by your media, then you are trapped in the matrix. Just It's okay, too. Everybody's been there, and I'm sure there's some things that I believe that I've been told that are incorrect, which is why I encourage, we encourage everybody, question everything. Why Why is that headline written like that? Who does it are benefit? Who is it benefiting? Mm -hmm. Like, is it, is it benefiting you or is it benefiting someone else? Like, typically it's benefiting someone else. And when you start diving in and go follow the money, they always say follow the money. 
If you do that, you'll see a lot of times it's not you're not the one getting the benefit. Somebody else is getting the benefit. And then for me, the biggest red flag about the whole COVID thing for me, Joel, was I mean, I've seen Bill Gates's TED talk where he talked about, oh, the world's population's exploding. You know, with vaccines, maybe we can lower that by 10 to 15 percent. I was like, wait a second. Bill Gates is saying that if these vaccines can lower population by 10, 15 percent like that, why would I, I take a vaccine believe. that he would recommend? OK, so my instinct there is to believe that he misspoke because if he didn't. Misspeak, no, it's, it's, no, it's not I, the I case. Saw it. I saw it. No, I saw it. His I, dad was in eugenics. His whole family, these people were in eugenics. I understand it could have been a Freudian slip. All I'm saying is to put that out there deliberately was either a mistake or he is just saying, look at me, I am Satan incarnate. Okay, it's Mm got to be one of those two things. Well, the same people, the same people who were promoting it, promoting the vaccines were the same ones five, 10 years ago talking about how overpopulation is going to destroy the world. So to me, that was the red flag. I don't care what he said or was it, 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 it was a slip of the tongue or whatever. I just know the people who are promoting this the most are the ones who were talking about overpopulation not long ago. And so now they're talking about, hey, take this to save you. We need to save grandma. We got to save each other. And in my mind, from the research that I've done, this is sort of a covert genocide that most people don't realize yet. And unfortunately, it's bad. If you have the stomach for it, go watch Died Suddenly, the film that we talked about in the interview with G. Edward Griffin, and think for yourself. I mean, I looked at it skeptically. Some of the video I'm thinking, is that really due to that? Um, Some of the people I'm listening to, I'm questioning their motives. But, Mm -hmm. you know, the point is, is to absorb information and then process it for yourself to determine what's real. What does this have to do with crypto? Crypto, Bitcoin, it's all about liberty. It's all about freedom. It's all about Mm -hmm. you being sovereign. Okay, and so that is so deeply tied into politics. Stop and think about it. Uh, Bitcoin was born out of politics in the world financial system from two, 2008 when the economy collapsed and all the Wall Street bankers got off scot-free after taking right. your money, which is what Sam Bankman-Fried has just done. And now the media is propping him up and going, oh, poor, poor Sam. He really he was going to try to yeah. save the world. Ask yourself why. Who was it benefiting? It was benefiting the Uniparty. It was benefiting the rhinos on the right and the leftist on the left, right? So, you know, if you think, oh, it's Democrats versus Republicans, it's really it's not. It's them. About 70% of them are corrupt as far as I can tell. But there's a percentage of them who are trying to wrestle that away. But I don't know if you're ever going to get it wrestled away when you're using these electronic voting systems that you become a conspiracy theorist by even questioning. Although, it's, it's although Joel, in 2016, if you question Trump winning, well, you're good because like, oh, yeah, yeah I was probably corrupt. It was the Russians. But now you correct because it's, it depends on who wins. You can see that this is just a bunch of bullshit going on. It is. And so hey, you want to show the NFT? You want to show that? We haven't I do. That. I do. Oh, as, soon as, you, as soon as you're quiet, I'll show it. Okay. Are you, right. are you done? Take a seat. I'm not, I'm not really done. All, All right. Don't be All too right, quiet. I'm not done. So if you're not a member of the Bad Crypto Nifty Club, you're going to want to be. Travis has created a beautiful AI piece just for uh, you to receive for free. What, what are we calling this, Trev? Well, this, is the, this is the creature. This is the creature creeps. 
Yeah, look at that. That is so cool. This is Travis created it with his words and his fine tuning and AI made the art. It's bad. I spent, I spent a long time on this because I was like trying to find the right one to base it off of. And a lot of them, they just, I wasn't getting what I wanted at all. But I wanted a big stack of money, but I wanted a creature that's kind of leaving the money. And you can see that that sort of Godzilla is leaving the building. It's been created. Godzilla has really left good. the building. Yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful piece, and it's yours for free if you're a member of the Bad Crypto Nifty Club. Super easy to become a member of the Bad Crypto Nifty Club. Go to badcrypto.uncut.fm, and this little spinny red NFT that has you know, your favorite Sir Lords in the uh, the window frame here, it's yours for 0 .002 wrapped ETH, which as of today is a $2.40 two cents give or take get that we'll avoid giving away free nfts to the bot but wait a second directly to your wallet that's no, good you don't have to have wrapped ETH. if you scroll down you, they can literally take credit cards too so you oh, yeah. could pay, you pay with, with your visa, visa or your yes, apple bro. pay or whatever so that or might be period. a deterrent for some people like oh i don't know how to wrap my you don't need to go you'll get Okay. Yeah, just go get it. Get it, get it, get it, get it. Others are getting it every day. They're getting uh, free NFTs, and we're going to get you this, the uh, the Creature Creeps NFT um, shortly after. Uh, we'll, we'll give you a few days after this episode, and then we'll just uh -huh. uh, say, all right, that's it. And if you've got it, you get it. If you don't, you don't, and maybe you'll get a future one. Also, we are going to be doing a future episode um, of uh, your feedback. So we want you to write us and or call us the bad crypto hotline if you want to leave us a voicemail with your questions your thoughts your feelings your rees, uh your stay bads your ideas whatever call us 708-885-9030 and leave us a voicemail it's open 24 7 don't worry you won't wake anybody up at any hour of day because it goes to a voicemail 708-885-9030 or write us at badcryptopodcast at gmail.com and and type your words instead of speaking your words and uh in the not too distant future we're going to do a fan tribute feedback show featuring you mm, yeah and we'll probably have a podcast we'll probably have an nft for that one too all your fans of the i think we thing. probably will so thanks so much podcast of the beast <laughs> you, you know what um you can say whatever you want about us but maybe just at the very least thank us for having the courage uh, in in spite of whatever dollars we might lose from sponsorships to come out here and speak our mind speak what we believe to be true and encourage you to think for yourself we don't want you to believe us we don't want you to believe what we say we want you to go do your own damn research both financially and socially socially sociologically philosophically religionly travisly what trev we've always said that from the very beginning it's like don't listen listen to us but don't take our word at face value got to do your own research on this that we've been all about that when it comes to crypto when it comes to life you know sometimes we're, we're the bad crypto podcast but sometimes we're just the bad podcast because we're going off the rails talking about whatever the hell we want and that's just life but always do your own research and joel they always need to stay bad that is Who's bad? The bad.
Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoins and and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.